It's Guys Guy Radio. Here's your host, Robert Manny. Okay, welcome to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you back to the show. Guys Guys Radio is the place where when men and women can be at their best, everyone wins. Sounds like a pretty good deal, doesn't it? Let's all win. We're all connected. We've got a great show for you today. Our special guest is a multi-talented, he's an artist, he's a musician, and he's a writer. He's put together a book. His name is David Young. You probably know him without knowing him. And by that, I mean, if you've ever gone to a spa or gotten a massage or a Reiki treatment or reflexology, whatever, and you hear that music in the background, that flute music, well, David's music is probably what you heard. He plays two Renaissance flutes at the same time, and he's, he's, music is known all over the world. A lot of times, not by knowing, hey, this is David Young playing, you just hear that music, and the music is meant to have certain tones in it to help, help you heal and help with your treatments. So anyhow, David's going to be here in a few moments. Um, his book is called The True Story of Jesus and His Wife Mary Magdalena, Their Untold Truth Through Art and Evidential Channeling. And it's a fascinating story. He put it together over a number of years. He'd been getting uh, doing meditation courses where he leads meditations, and people were starting to channel during his courses. And uh, he pulled together this story about a very different outlook on what happened to Jesus, which may throw some of you off and may upset some people, but we're going to give David the forum, and we'll talk about it. And I think that's a good thing, um, because... We really want to hear different points of view and then sort out you know, what, what we decide to connect to and what we don't decide to connect to. And that's what I do here on Guys Guys Radio. I bring you different points of view because a lot of people out there are seekers. They're seeking more than just what they get at work or what the media tells them. So we want to give some fresh ideas and then you determine. I'm not going to say you have to believe this or not because you're going to do what you want anyhow. And that's cool. Now, David's book, I say it's kind of a multimedia experience because there's many, many versions of his paintings inside. There's QR codes to uh, connect you to his music while you're reading the book. And then there's the fascinating story that was channeled to him and to others about Jesus. And many would say that Jesus Christ is the most misunderstood person in the history of the world. And probably that is the truth. You know, a whole religion is built around him. And if you really dig deep, you know, Jesus was Jewish, of course. And he really wasn't looking to be head of a religion, uh, have a religion built around him. But he did want all of us to be connected and to be good to one another. That's what he was really about, being kind to one another, loving each other, and what could be a better religion than that? And we have such a divisive world nowadays where it's this religion, or so many wars based on religion and so much hate, and it's religion against religion. It's just, it's like so sad. So let's let's do something about that. Let's Let's get together, folks. And you know what? When we talk about this story, David's story, which is going to raise some eyebrows, uh, let's not get upset because, uh, you know, when it comes to the truth, you have to determine what's true for you, what is your truth, and align to it. But also, you really want to know, you have to decide if you want to know the truth or you want to just know what you know. Sometimes it's a comfort level in not knowing anything new. And a lot of people like that. But think back. You know, when you were a kid, if you're a Christian, you probably believed in Santa Claus and you thought he came down the chimney and you put cookies out for him. And then at a certain point, I know for me, there was a certain point where I realized there was no Santa Claus. My brother kind of broke the news to me. I was heartbroken. I was about 25 or so. Just kidding. I was probably about, I don't know, eight years old. And I always thought that the phone calls I used to get leading up to Christmas were Mr. Santa Claus and his wife, Mrs. Claus, though they did sound eerily familiar to my aunt and my uncle. 
my Aunt Claire and my Uncle Dick, but I didn't put it together because maybe I didn't want to. And then my brother said, you know, there's no Santa Claus, and I was crushed. I was heartbroken. But what's better? Learning then and realizing that there was a lot of joy in the whole Santa Claus thing, and really my aunt and uncle and my mom and dad, they were representative of all the kindness and the love that you want and expect from Christmas. So it's a good thing. So the truth set me free. I got over it. And I feel much better that I know the truth than going through life believing in Santa Claus as an adult. (laughs) And it's like that for a lot of other things. I mean, you could ask so many conspiracies, you know, what would you you say if there was a Bigfoot was true or ETs? There are ETs. Now they're starting to disclose the information. It's like, you know what? The ETs have been around for a while, a lot longer than us. What about, you know, did the Nazis really win World War II by taking over corporations afterwards and and really owning the technology and infiltrating the U.S.? Some say if you watch Gaia TV and Cosmic Disclosure and shows like that, they will talk all about that, make very convincing arguments. How about everything going on in Antarctica? The deep state, Illuminati, Hillary's emails, who knows? There's so much, but you have to ask yourself, do I want to know the truth or, or not? And I'm not saying what David's saying uh, is necessarily the truth, but it's the truth for what David channeled and what other people have channeled in his meditation courses. And he's put the information in a book, and it's a provocative story about what may have happened or may not have happened with Jesus Christ. So we're going to get into that in a few minutes, and uh, I really look forward to it. This is Guys Guys Radio, your host, Robert Manny. Thanks for being with us, and we'll be with David momentarily. Welcome back to Guys Guys Radio, your host, Robert Manny. As I said, we've got a great show with a very interesting, fascinating artist on hand, uh, David Young. He's a public speaker, a teacher of over 390 meditation workshops. He's a musician. He's recorded 60 albums. He's sold over a million copies. He's a healer and an evidential channeler, and he'll explain what that is to us. Um, His music is well known for its therapeutic properties. It's a staple in hospitals, healing centers, and spas throughout the world. I'm sure, sure you've heard it. Um, he uses uh, two f- flutes, uh, Renaissance flutes, I believe. He travels extensive, extensively hosting his signature workshops, A Portal Between Heaven and Earth, which combine his music and guided meditations. He's on the show today on Guys Guys Radio because he's got a book out, which is really fascinating. It's called The True Story of Jesus and His Wife, Mary Magdalena. Their untold truth through art and evidential ch- channeling. And what it is, it's a uh, compilation, if you will, of uh, some channels that came through to David uh, from Jesus and um, Mary Magdalene and Mary. And it's about what really happened to Jesus according to, uh, according to Jesus uh, when he was uh, crucified and uh, after that. It's really fascinating. There's also lots of artwork throughout the book. David's uh, abstract paintings are featured, and they're really, really vibrant and very emotional. And uh, I believe that they were done prior to the uh, book, but then they turned out that they were actually channeled for some of the messaging that comes through the book. There's also QR codes in the book that uh, tie into musical passages, so you can listen to David's music and while you're reading the book. And it's a, it's a really good read. It's a beautiful book. The artwork is beautiful. In the back, there's a list and uh, a compilation of all the artwork. And uh, he's just a fascinating guy. So welcome to Guys Guys Radio, David. Well, thanks. Nice to be here with you. 
you know, I really, uh, I really enjoyed the book because I, I, I love it when uh, guests have a provocative point of view because what we do here on Guys Guys Radio, we put out information, we put out experts, we put out different patterns of thought, different theories, and we allow our listeners to educate themselves and decide, hey, that's for me and that isn't. And it's interesting because I've interviewed a lot of people who uh, are channelers and a lot of them have spoken with uh, Jesus and um, and I take a spiritual unfoldment class and it, apparently what, a lot of times, um, and I would love to get your take on this, David, when, when we get uh, Jesus or some an ascended master that comes through, sometimes it's, it's not actually the uh, Jesus or the ascended master, but it's a representation. Um, and, and sometimes it is, but it doesn't matter because it's the it's coming through. When when you started on this journey with the book, uh, you're Jewish and you had a channeling, I guess, of Jesus. That must have thrown you off a little bit. A little bit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was so bizarre because, you know, growing up Jewish, we weren't even allowed to say his name in our house. And so I never had a connection with him at all. I started meditating when I was 22. Um, I'm 58 years old now, and I started doing these events called A Portal Between Heaven and Earth, which I started doing in 2014. And people, you know, after I would tell stories about spirituality for about an hour, I would then say, okay, everybody close your eyes, let's meditate, I'm going to play the flute, let's see what happens. Because, you know, during my 30 years of meditation, I'd experienced the inner white light and the purple light and various degrees of inner peace, depending on how long I meditated for. But I never um, had a channeling experience. I Honestly, I thought um, I was such a skeptic of all that stuff that I thought that being skeptical showed people I was intelligent, you know, because sometimes, you know, if you don't believe anything you hear, it comes off like, right. <laughs> like you're intelligent, you know. But um, at the very first event that I did, and I just did my 410th event, but five or 10 or 20 people at every single event that I've done have shared that they had a conversation or spiritual travel with one of their loved ones, like a grandmother or a dad or a friend from childhood who died young, um, or one of the ascended masters or one of the archangels. And in the beginning, it was just people experiencing reconnecting with one of their loved ones, which was so bizarre for me because I'd never had one of those experiences I didn't even know that was possible. I wouldn't right. ever have, you know, um, you know, I just didn't know that that was on the menu of possibilities in life, you know. So you were um, doing your, you, you were doing your uh, meditations, the group meditations, and you were playing your uh, two flutes? Yeah. And then uh, uh, people in the audience then uh, sporadically would get channeling ha- ha- occurring. Is that that's well, what they, you're saying, right? Yep, and people would have a chance when the meditation was over after 20, 25 minutes, they'd have a chance to either ask me questions about their experience or to share their experience. And, you know, at that first event, there was a woman whose husband died in 9-11. It had been 13 years since then. She never had closure. He just basically didn't come home from work one day. And, you know, she'd been dealing with that for 13 years and her husband showed up to her and took her all around heaven, told her that he was happy and that he was in a beautiful place that he was able to show her. And he told her that, you know, don't worry about him because he's in a beautiful place and, you know, just do whatever you can to find happiness every day you can the rest of your life. 
And she said for the first time in 13 years, she had closure um, because nothing did anything to give her closure up until that point. And so every event that I've done ever since, that has become an absolute normal thing where I've heard that over 5,000 times. And then about six months after that, at that point, about 500 people had shared that experience. So at that point, it was a normal thing because I'd had six months of three or four nights a week hearing people share these experiences, you know. Um, after six months, something really bizarre happened where three people all saw Jesus standing in the same spot in the room. And um, honestly, when the first two people shared it, I thought they were crazy. Mm-hmm. And then um, when I was packing up at the end of the event, this woman came up to me and whispered to me. She said, I saw him standing in the same spot, but I didn't want to say anything in front of everybody. <laughs> and I was like, wow. You know, this woman, you know, she was a friend of a friend. I knew she was a high quality person, you know, um, and a shy person. Um, so there was a channeler who I was speaking to named Bob Murley, Murray, who was helping me to understand why all these people are having these experiences at my events. You know, I thought I was just a good flute player. I didn't know that people were going to be able to have these experiences mm-hmm. at my events, you know. Let me, uh, let me ask you, to let's take a step back. What got yeah. you, because you're a very interesting person, you're a great artist, um, between your paintings and your music and now your spiritual work. What got you involved, uh, what was the, the tipping point to get you involved in meditation originally? Well, when I was 22 years old, um, at that point, I had been a, a lead guitar player in rock bands ever since, you know, I was in junior high school. And I just wanted to play rock music. And when I got to be about 22 years old, I was, you know, I was in a band from the time I was 19 to 21 that was a very popular hard rock band in New England. But, you know, it wasn't the kind of thing where I knew I was going to do that for the rest of my life. And Mm -hmm. what happened was that um, because I was playing this intensely negative music, I was attracting these intensely negative experiences in my life. And by the time I got to 22 years old, I was thinking, oh, my God, I don't know how much longer I can take of this. So um, the band that I was in broke up and everything just went to pot and just fell apart. And I was so depressed that I, I didn't know how I was going to be able to, you know, when I woke up in the morning, I didn't know if I was going to be able to have the strength to, mm-hmm. to live through another day because I was so sad and unhappy about everything that was happening in my life. and. So what I started to do is that I start. I didn't know what to call God because I didn't know if like the Buddhists were right. Does that mean everybody else is completely out of luck? You know, if the Christians are right, does that mean everyone else right. is completely out of luck? Yeah. So that, I didn't know what, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't, didn't know what to call God. So I decided to call God whoever, whatever, mm-hmm. because whoever God is, whatever God is. So that's what I was calling him, whoever, whatever. And when I would live through and get through the end of that day, before I went to bed, I would thank whoever, whatever, for mm-hmm. helping me to make it through, giving me the strength to make it through that day. And so, you know, at that point, I got into meditation when I was 22, which was something, there were very few people my age that were interested in meditation right. at all. Because mm-hmm. um, I'm 58 now, so you do the math. That yep. was in the, the early 80s. And um, I quit drinking. I didn't have a beer or a glass of wine for 30 years. I didn't smoke anything. I lived a totally pure life. That I didn't even have chocolate or coffee for those 30 years, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I got into meditation and then I found that 
if I meditated for longer than 15 minutes, then I definitely felt something. Uh, in the first five or 10 minutes, most people, your mind is so used to running around and making plans and thinking of all the things we have to do that the first five, 10 minutes you're in a meditation, it really, you don't really get into any of the deeper levels. It takes right. 15, 20, 30 minutes. And, you know, if you can find a place if you can find time in your in your day where you can meditate for 45 minutes or an hour, the difference between that and meditating for 15 minutes, it's uncomparable. Mm-hmm. Because you, you know, That's you're not point. fighting a, you're not fighting against your own mind who's who's thinking, gee, what television show am I gonna watch tomorrow? <laughs> right. And what what's what's gonna be on the news? Yeah, right. All all of that basic <laughs> stuff that that you know, we need to give that a break so we can actually receive messages. Because we receive okay. messages in the space. Okay, so how did you then, all right, so you were playing rock music, got into meditation. Then how did you get into playing the uh, Renaissance flute? Well, when I was in third grade, I started playing the Renaissance flute, the recorder, like everybody else in the New York City public school system. I grew up in Brooklyn a long time before Brooklyn was cool. It wasn't cool back then. It was just I dangerous, know. I know. you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. And <laughs> um, I was the worst in my class the first year, and by some bizarre you know, fateful thing, my class was offered a second year of the recorder and I've never ever met anybody who was given two years of the recorder. And during the second year is when I started getting the hang of it. And I became the youngest person in the in the New York Recorder Guild advanced performing thing, you know, of all these people playing Baroque and Renaissance music. And that's what I thought I was going to do in, with my life until I got into high school. And then I heard Jethro Tull and then I started to play guitar. That was the end of my classical career when I heard Jethro Tull. And, you know, then in college, I started to play in bands in high school and college. And one thing led to another. And then I started to play the flute again in 1990 when I moved to California because I ran out of money. And out of desperation, I went down to Venice Beach to play my recorder because I was down to my last $100, and I met a woman who played the harp. We made a tape with my last $100 that was called Celestial Winds. We sold 10,000 copies of that tape at Venice Beach mm-hmm. over the following two years, and then we started to play at art festivals, and we sold 100,000 CDs together. Wow! And then we went our own, our own ways, and I continued to make CDs on my own. I've recorded 60 different CDs, and I've sold over a million CDs now, and... That's how I got involved in playing the recorder. Okay, let's fast forward because I want to get into the book because uh, yeah. it's, it's 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 a great story. So uh, fast forward up to what got you involved in this book. You were with Mimi, I believe her name is, and she was yeah. a channel channeler and medium. And yeah. uh, you uh, you're Jewish, and people don't realize that Jesus. You know, I'm Christian, but I have a real problem with Christians who think like you know it's us versus everybody else, because that's not what Jesus had in mind. Jesus was yeah. Jewish people. Let's get over yeah. it. And uh, and he was a rabbi and even says so yeah. in the Bible. So yeah. uh, we're all we're all together. Everybody's connected. So let's let's think of things that way. So tell us what happened when uh, she was channeling at I guess, one of your events and Jesus started coming through. And then you got this story, which basically tells uh, us that Jesus, uh, when he was crucified, he did not, uh, he, he came down, they took him down, but then they took him out of the cave at night and they put him in a cart and they took him away. And then ultimately he ends up in Paris. I just shortened everything. So why don't you take us through 
how you got that information and what the story was that was told to you and then about your friend who actually turned out to be a reincarnation, I guess, of the Roman soldier who helped Jesus. Yeah, that, that's like a, you know, a crash course into the whole thing, what, what you just said. So um, what happened was that everybody knows Jesus was Jewish. His real name is Yeshua. And there's five places in the Bible where he's called rabbi. And most people don't know that in order to become a rabbi, you first have to have a wife and children because they wanted to make sure you you had a family. And so that was like a prerequisite. So he was a, you know, he was Jewish and he did travel and study in Egypt and he studied in Tibet and in, and in India. And when he came back, he was 30 years old. The reason why the missing years of his life start when he's 12 years old in the Bible is because everybody knows he was Jewish and at 12 years old, you start studying your Haftorah for your Bar Mitzvah, which happens when you're 13. And they wanted to take as much of his Jewish heritage out of the Bible because they were building this thing called Christianity and they were trying to remove as much of his Jewish heritage as possible. So that's why the missing years of his life start when he's 12 okay. years old. Let me let me interrupt you and ask you a question for the benefit of the audience. So you got this, the story that you're telling came to you through Mimi or uh, your your buddy who was the uh, Roman sentry or how did this story that, you know, I want you to continue with it, how did yeah. it come through to you? Well, it was little bits at a time and it was, I'm telling you when these things started happening in 2015 where there were these consistent people every night having experiences with Jesus or Mother Mary, you know, um, because of all the all the ascended masters who appeared to people at my events. A majority of them were people who were having experiences with Jesus and Mother Mary. Um, there were people who had experiences with every other ascended master you can name. But I used to wonder how come how come so many more people are having experiences with Jesus and Mother Mary? Is it because this is America and more people are familiar with Jesus and Mother Mary? Would it be different if I was in China or in India or in Africa doing these these events? Would those people's affiliations with Krishna or Buddha or whoever, whichever ascended master they looked up to, would that be different if I was playing these events? in these places that were not Judeo-Christian places like America is, you know? And um, so what happened was I became friends with this woman who was in her 60s. She was a professional channeler. She'd written a bunch of books. She was really respected and she was really grounded. You know, it used to be that people involved in spirituality were the opposite of grounded because that was like cool, but that's not cool anymore. People respect people in spirituality who are grounded, you know, and so she was very grounded. And because she had come to like five of my events, which was unusual, we had become friends through a mutual friend. And one day we went out for lunch and I asked her how she got involved in spirituality. And she explained she was in the corporate world for 25 years. She was never interested in anything spiritual. Um, And she decided after she retired to go to a meditation event to find out a little bit more about meditation. So she went to this event and a woman was explaining how do you meditate the basics of it. And then after talking for like 20 minutes, she told everybody to close their eyes and wait for the first, clear your mind and wait for the first message to come to you. The first thing that comes to your mind. So Crystal had her eyes closed. She was in the audience with about 40 people in the audience and 
Jesus appeared by her left ear and Jesus said, can you forgive me? And she was like, forgive you for what? Why would I need to forgive you? And he said, because we needed to leave you when you were little because it wasn't safe to bring you where we were going. And at that moment, Crystal had this image of being one of Jesus and Mary Magdalene's three children because Jesus came back when he was 30 years old. He met Mary Magdalene because Mother Mary fixed them up at a wedding. Mary Magdalene came from a very wealthy family in their area. Actually, Joseph of Arimathea was her father and her mother had died young. So she inherited a lot of money. So she was able to do things most people weren't able to do. And because her mom had died young, Mother Mary had become like an adopted mom to her when she was growing up. Well, now she's a grown woman. Jesus comes back. He's 30 years old. Mother Mary introduces Jesus to Mary Magdalene at a wedding. They fall in love instantly. They get married quickly. And they have three children from the time he's 30 to 33 years old. At 33 years old is when that horrible thing happened. And Mary Magdalene had to make Oh, the most difficult decision in the world, does she stay with her three children or does she let her husband die? And so what happened was that she was friends with this Roman soldier and this Roman soldier took him down from the cross after six hours. The reason why he was taken down off the cross after six hours is because he was crucified on the eve of Passover. And in the Jewish religion, you celebrate the holiday starting at sundown Right. on the eve before the, the night. So mm -hmm. the, the crucifixion happened on April 3rd. Sir Isaac Newton figured out the math to figure that out. April 3rd was a Thursday, and Thursday night at sundown after he was on the cross for six hours, after he had already gone, his body had gone into shock, he had gone into a coma, and he was having a near-death experience. Okay, so this Roman soldier took him down off the cross after six hours and put him in this tomb. And he was in a coma and he let Mary Magdalene into the tomb each day to change the bandages on his hands and on his feet and on his rib. And on the third day, this Roman soldier brought a wooden cart that was covered by hay, grass, mm -hmm. and it was pulled by a horse. And he took Jesus's body out of the tomb, put his body in the center of the cart and covered up his body with the hay. Mary Magdalene rode, rode the horse, said goodbye to their three children who she left with Mother Mary, and they made their way up to France. They actually didn't go to Paris. They were in the south of France, and the first place they went to was a mountain region called Digne le -Bon. And it took them, it was 2,619 miles that they were on that horse and that cart. And the first couple of months, he was in such horrible condition because of going into the a coma and everything sure, and, right. and everything. So just everybody thinks when you, most people, when they think of Jesus, they think about his suffering on the cross, but that was just the beginning of his suffering mm -hmm. because he had basically five surgeries, two on his feet, two on his hands and one on his rib with no anesthesia. Okay. And let me, let me, hold, let me, let me, uh, let's take a pause on that note. This is guys, guys radio, your host, Robert Manny. I'm interviewing David Young. We're talking about his book, Wonderful book, The True Story of Jesus and His Wife, Mag Mary Magdalena, The Untold Truth. Um, why did the Roman soldier uh, have uh, mercy, if you will, uh, and help Jesus out? Well, because this Roman soldier, um, you have to understand that soldiers were used to dealing with bad guys, criminals. And Jesus wasn't a criminal. He was arrested for um, disturbing the peace. 
when he was actually just sharing the peace that God is within you and heaven is within you. Mm-hmm. The, the big problem that they had back then was that um, in the Jewish religion, the big temple in Israel was in Jerusalem, where the Wailing Wall is now. And the rabbis had convinced everybody that in order to be with God, you had to come to the temple. Because God wouldn't appear to you in your house or in your grandmother's house. The only place you could be with God was at the temple in Jerusalem. And so people who lived in Nazareth or Magdala, that's where Mary Magdalene's last name came from, Mm -hmm. because she was from Magdala. People who lived there had to walk for seven days across the desert to get to Jerusalem for the holidays. And so when Jesus came back from studying in Egypt, India, and Tibet, you know, the first thing you learn in, on the spiritual path is meditation, right? Mm-hmm. So, the, so he had been meditating for, for years. And in meditation, everybody learns that God is within you and heaven is within you. Right. Okay. So let, he, me hold, let me hold you up again because I want to make sure we get everything that we can possibly get into the broadcast. And your, the story is fascinating. So I want to I want to give proper honor and credit to, to you for pu- pulling this together. But I want to ask the questions that I think sure. the listeners would ask, so forgive sure. me. Um, so how many, over what time frame, uh, how many meditations did you, and channels uh, came through to get, to put, to piece the story together? In other words, from what I've read in the book, it wasn't all at once. This, you, you got this over time, right? Yeah, it was over about a two-year period, a two-and-a-half-year okay. period. Okay. And, and Jesus used to show up to people in my meditations, people who I didn't know. Mm-hmm. People who didn't know that I was experiencing all these things and that I was part of this whole thing. Okay. These people didn't know anything about me. And sometimes the meditation would end and people would raise their hand. They would say, well, Jesus just appeared to me and he wanted to know when you're going to get working on that book. These right. people didn't know I was working on a mm-hmm. book. Now, what did Jesus, what was the first time that he contacted you, uh, if you will, directly? And what, how did that go? And how did you, what did you think and how did you feel? Well, it felt weird. That's for sure. You know, just growing up in a Jewish family, the idea of having a conversation was just weird. And it was after those three people had experienced him at that event when that woman whispered to me at the end. And so I called up a famous channeler that I knew from Canada whose name was Bob Murray. And I asked him if he could channel Jesus because I couldn't understand why would he show up. I had already done six months of events. He never showed up at any of those events. Why would he show up then? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, what was different from that night versus six right. ni- six months exactly. before? Okay. And um, so Bob was able to channel Jesus for me. And and he, I said right off the bat, I said, this just feels so weird having a conversation with you after growing up in a Jewish family. And he said, well, I can understand that. I grew up in a Jewish family also, mm-hmm. which okay. made, me, made me laugh. And then he started explaining to me. I said, well, what do you like or what don't you like? And he told me some of the things that he liked and didn't like. And, you know, he told me he loved public speaking. That was his favorite thing to do. Okay. Um, so, David, then, so to continue the story, and again, forgive me, I just want to make sure we get it all yeah. in. Um, so, Jesus and Mary, they go to, uh, they end up like around Paris, somewhere in the vicinity of Paris. And Well, it's, it's six hours by car. Six okay. hours by car south of Paris. It's between Paris and the ocean. Okay. It's closer to the ocean. Okay, sorry. Uh, and uh, he lived out his days there with his family. And the, one of the questions that came up that you were asking uh, when you were writing this book that comes through in the book is like, well, how did they have money to do all this travel? And apparently Mary, I guess, had some type of inheritance or whatever. But yeah. take us through kind of, all right, so Jesus now and Mary, they're in the south of France, if you will. 
what, how, how did that go and how did he live out the remainder of his days? Well, the crucifixion happened in Jerusalem. They lived in Magdala, which is right next to Nazareth, which is right next to the Sea of Galilee. Okay, so the first place that they had to go because they had only gone to Jerusalem for Passover for a week. So you would obviously not bring your entire life savings if you're going on a one-week vacation. So the first place that they had to go, if you look on the map, Magdala is northeast of Jerusalem. Right. So the first place they went was back to Magdala so they could get, so Mary Magdalene could get her family money because they were going to need money to survive this journey. And basically they, they headed north. There was a, there's a river, I think it's called the Tiberius River that goes out of the Sea of Galilee, which is actually a lake. It's not an ocean. And they basically followed that river north and went through Syria and Turkey and Bulgaria all the way up through Italy. And they eventually um, ended up in the south of France in this mountainous region over there. And so had they not had Mary Magdalene's money, he couldn't work. He couldn't walk. He couldn't do anything. He told me he, he used to make furniture. That's what... You know, everybody knows he was a carpenter, but the part of carpentry he did was making furniture. Obviously, he's not making furniture for a long time with with his hands right. being destroyed like that. You know, so the and, so, so the for the remainder of his days, he lives there with his family. Was he aware, uh, or did he mention anything about this? About how his I'll just put this in quotes, kind of his legend, his story was was growing. I know it took like a hundred years or so for them to pull the Bible together, and then the Bible kept getting changed over time, but was he aware of what was happening after he was crucified? No. I can tell you when he found out that something was up. Because he told me through Mimi that he died alone. Mary Magdalene had died first. And when you say with his family, um, his three children who were one, two, and three years old were taken, the guardianship was taken over by Mother Mary. He never saw his children again. Mary Magdalene never saw their children again. Wow. And um, so it was the worst thing in the world. Just imagine you're, you're yeah. living a spiritual life. You're sharing love and light with people and people are receiving it. Mm -hmm. People are understanding it and people are helping them. Okay. When I say people are helping them, you know, one of the things he said to me, and this is going to sound crazy to you people listening, but I'm sorry. It's just the way this is what came through. One of the things he said to me was like, you know how when you go to these, these events that you do and there are people who put you up and, you know, give you a place to stay and they, they host the events, they bring the people, you know, the way these people love you and have, a, you know, appreciate what you're doing, David. Well, people had the same appreciation for me when I was, when I was sharing my spirituality with people. And just imagine the worst thing in the world happens because he grew up in Israel. Anybody growing up in Israel as a child would be seeing people being crucified because right. that was published pub public punishment. Mm -hmm. And so he's grown up. That's the worst thing that can happen to a human being. And that worst thing happens to him. Mm -hmm. And so his wife finds a way to keep him alive. And, you know, they get, they live on that cart for years, keep going north because... Right. They had to live in hiding. So okay. one of the things he said is that he, he, he couldn't share spirituality with anybody. Right. 
because you know he had to stay Got away it. from people who Under could the see the scars in his hands. You know. Now his kids. Uh, uh, why could they? Uh, were they aware that their dad was still alive? And uh, no, was there no? So they was. So they were com- completely out of. There's no way that they could have been uh, rejoined as a family. Oh no, it would be impossible. They were two thousand six hundred nine. Okay. They were. That would be like going right. from and there's New no York to California. Yeah, yeah, there's without. no cell phone, there's no GPS, you know, right. I mean, can, there's not even an Uber okay. driver around there, you know. All right, so now you put the book together, and uh, you did paintings, and they're beautiful paintings, and they're all listed and, and laid out wonderfully. Your paintings are marvelous, they're abstract, Thank they're you. vibrant, they bring out a lot of emotion, which is great, and I love looking at them, and, and uh, I read the captions, and I try to do the interpretation on my own, saying, oh, I see that there, because I don't have the fine eye, but as you know, it's like, you know, art is like wine. Whatever you connect with is really what all well, that's what matters. And, sure. and over time, you you know you you kind of educate your palate more and more. But uh, they're they're fantastic, and it's a it's a core part. Of, this is a beautiful book for everybody listening. And there's the story. There's the David's story, his own personal story that goes with it. And then there's the uh, QR co- codes for your music. So, but at first, if you could talk a little bit about the artwork, and yes. as, if I got this right, you did a lot of the paintings prior to this book being written. Is that true? Absolutely. I made these okay. paintings a year to two years before I even started working on the book. I didn't know that these paintings were going to be part of anything. I was just making these abstract paintings, thinking that they were nice. I wasn't trying to paint anything. But what happened is that while Mimi and I were together, after about a year and a half of, of us being together, um, Jesus told us that he wanted us to go to France. So long story short, we went to France. They showed us three places where they lived. One was in Digne le and another area was around St. Maximine, where the famous cave of Mary Magdalene is and the famous church of St. Mary Magdalene is because they found her bones um, nearby in a wooden box that had a handwritten letter that said, here lie the bones of St. Mary Magdalene. And um, that's, where they, that's where they lived out their life. Okay. But, you know, getting back to, did, I think your question is a really important question because when we look back in history, and we look back at the story from 2,000 years ago, it's natural to think, oh, he, if he's at this high level now, it's natural to think he must have been at that same high exactly, level right, back exactly. then. That, that would be the assumption. Yeah, but the thing is, is that you're not the same person you were 20 right. years ago. Right. You know? And Van Gogh was nobody when he was alive, right? Yeah, like that, exactly that point. And so one of the things he said to me, he, he told me through Mimi that, Mary Magdalene died first and he died alone. And he he said at the moment of his death, God gave him a a vision that completely blew his mind because he was shown a vision of what was going to be created in his image later. You have to understand he and they were living in a cave. Mm -hmm. They were like nomadic people. I mean, I don't want to call them homeless people because they once they found the cave, that was like a big step up. But they were basically living in, you know, in the forest, just surviving on fruits and berries. And, Got it. Um, you know, it was a horrible, horrible lifestyle that, that they were stuck mm-hmm. living because they had to they had to stay away from people because he was looked at as a criminal because right. of the scars. 
Let me let me ask you too, because we're uh, we're getting jammed on time. But I want to get to a couple of I, what I think are also important questions. And uh, one is, does Jesus still show up for you during your uh, meditations or channeling or whatever? Of course, of course. Right. When I say he shows up to me, that means every night there's people, five or ten people, every single night that I've done these events that are sharing what he had to show them or teach them or okay. funny things, you know, because you know. Sometimes he's funny. Sometimes people have serious mm-hmm. things, you know, like let's say if they're reconnecting with a loved one and there's this all this emotional stuff around somebody, you know, with unresolved stuff. A lot of times when people reconnect with their loved one who they've had unresolved things with, it's a big emotional thing. Right. But some, sometimes it's flat out hilarious because there was a woman who came to my event two, two months ago. And she said, this man with a hairy chest showed up to her in her meditation. And she said, who are you? And he said, I'm Jesus. And she mm-hmm. said, well, why do you have such a hairy chest? And he said, because I, he said, because I know you really like men with hairy chests. <laughs> that, that really happened at my event. That's but not that's, a joke. That, that begs my next question, actually, David. I'm glad, I'm glad you, you mentioned that. Because I, I, my theory is that Jesus and the, a lot of the other ascended masters show up in forms that what would fit uh, what we need or what we're thinking of at the time to make us comfortable and familiar with them. In other words, Jesus might be, you know, long hair with the beard and the robes to some people, and he might show up in a business suit or something or look completely different to somebody else. Is that, Am I way off base or is that? No, you're right. You're right. Whether it's one of the ascended masters showing up to you in your meditation or one of your loved ones showing up to you in your meditation, they, they know it's difficult for us in our human consciousness down here in the lowest place of all the worlds called Earth, okay? Because this is the bottom. You don't have yep. to worry about going lower than this because this is, this is it, okay? Um, and they know it's hard for, for humans to get that logical, skeptical part out of their brain so they do whatever they can to make it easier right. for mm-hmm. you to accept it. And okay. not be so skeptical about it. And there are times that he shows up, you know, wearing, you know, the white thing that you would typically see in, in right. a, a Bible movie. But there's time he shows up wearing a white puffy Renaissance shirt with the strings around the neck, like the way Fabio would have worn, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of the reason why he does that was because when I started playing at Venice Beach in 1990, um, I used to wear this white puffy renaissance shirt basically from 1990 till 1998 on all my albums all my performances and that was my trademark and he started showing up to people at my events wearing a white puffy renaissance shirt um just to kind of show a connection between he and i okay what happens um now you know again on guys guys radio i want to bring guests out who i think have interesting stories to tell and then i leave it up to the listeners to you know i think there's a lot of seekers out there david and nowadays more than ever that and and i really appreciate your point about we need grounded light workers because it can't be just everybody floating around it's got to be more grounded that like this is the work that's got to get done and people like you and so many other people are out there doing these things and it's important that they're like quote unquote regular guys regular people i think it's really important so what do you say because i'm sure there are people are going to say oh i he can't be saying that you know that's not the story and that's blasphemous or whatever you get pushback i'm sure how do you how do you handle that or how do you address it well at this point i really haven't got pushback on it because the focus now is me reaching the 50 million americans who are meditating once or twice a week or doing yoga these people are not looking for answers in a church 
these people are finding answers through meditation mm-hmm. and through different spiritual trap, you know, different yep. spiritual practices, you know. Right. So the same way that people who watch Fox News do not ever turn on CNN and people who watch <laughs> CNN do not ever right. turn on Fox <laughs> News, okay? Um, the people who go to metaphysical bookstores and yoga studios and New Thought churches that are open to this are receiving it yeah. in a beautiful way. And I'm not really reaching out into the mainstream at this point because I'm just trying to reach the 50 million Americans who are open. Mm-hmm. Okay, real quick, um, the music then, uh, you have QR codes to some of your music that, you, the, 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 in other words, the ultimate way to read the book is you read the book, you read the story, you look at the paintings, you spend some time with the paintings, and then you're listening to the music at the same time, it becomes a more fuller experience. Is that is that yeah. how you envisioned it? Well, yeah, just so you know, there was no plan or intention of having music or paintings in this book at all. I, there were, when I got back from France, I realized that there were, there were five paintings that I made about two figures in a cave or a cave at the top of a mountain. I had no idea why I was making these paintings. And the place where they took us to, the cave of Mary Magdalene, where they guided us to go, which is a very popular place in the south of France, I painted where they lived. I painted a mountain with a cave at the top of it. That's exactly, if you saw a picture of the if you saw a photograph of where they lived, you would think I painted it. I made that painting a year before I got there. I didn't know I was painting these things. And the thing with the music, I didn't realize that we would be able to put music in the book because I wasn't going to have a CD that went with the book because then the CD just gets lost and it just never works and it adds an, an expense. Sure. You know, to the cost of the book that most people don't want to pay for. So what I realized while I was putting the book together in the last let's say month of the the process that I could put these QR codes that would link to a song that would go with that chapter. Mm -hmm. And then all you had to do is scan the QR code with your cell phone and play that as you were listening to the book. And so there's 90 minutes of music with that. But I want to tell you that the book is available in three different forms. One is the paper book that you have that you were sent a sample of that's 13 inches by 10 inches. It's full color. Mm -hmm. It's a coffee table book. Yes, it's gorgeous. Great job. Thank you. But there's also an audio book that people can, you know, either buy online, you know, as a download or they can buy it with like um, on a four CD set. And that audio book is me speaking and narrating the entire book with my music already mixed in in the background. Okay. And the third way? Okay. And the third way, it's an ebook. So this way, it's an ebook that has the paintings in the background that you would get the music separately. Okay, now um, where where can everybody find you? Because we're we're getting strapped a little bit for time. I want to make sure we get your information out there. Where can people learn more about you? Where can they buy your music, David? Where can they get the book, etc.? Website. Well, the, sure. The web, the stuff is on Amazon, of course, but it's also on my website, which is davidyoungmusic.com. Okay. And then uh, what message do you think now you've been given this task to, to put, pull all this together and spread the word as a light worker? What one message uh, between you and work, the information you've channeled, do you want to share with humanity? Well, the ascended masters, they like, first of all, they don't like being called masters because that puts them above you and they don't want you to think that, that they're above you. They want you to think you have the same divinity that they have. Okay, anybody who wants you to be a follower, that's not an ascended master. 
because an ascended master wants you to be a leader. The ascended masters want more light workers who are leaders out mm-hmm. there talking about this spiritual stuff so people can wake up to what's really the what's really going on. All of them are all part of a team. They like to be called the heavenly team because they're all in heaven in that mm-hmm. in that dimension, okay? And so they are all friends, they all love each other. So the way you look at religion from this earthly perspective, that's completely wrong to the way spirituality is looked at in the heavenly dimension. Because Jesus and Buddha and Moses and Krishna and Archangel Michael and all of them, they're all friends. They're all on the same team. When you have a team, what is the goal? The goal is to win the game. Exactly. The game that they're trying to win is by... Raising our giving, vibration, right? Raising our vibration and, you know, with the people who are interested in climbing the spiritual ladder um, and becoming masters themselves. Mm-hmm. That they're, that's what they're interested in. Got it. Wow. Well, listen, David, I totally love this interview. You did a great job, and I hope our listeners will really chew on this and uh, look at David's book, listen to his music. My, my wife listens to your music all the time. It's wonderful. And Thanks. I hope everybody maintains an open mind on different, uh, different channeled information that we get because the way we learn is just listening to other things, reading other things, and then determining for ourselves what we feel. David, your work is sensational, your paintings, the book is great, and your music is wonderful. And so thank you. And you're a guy's guy, too. So thanks so much for being <laughs> on Guy's Guys Radio. And you're, you know what? You're a Brooklyn guy. I'm up here right now before I moved to Southern California. I'm, I'm still here in New York City in Harlem. And uh, so I can relate to, uh, to your story, too, about your time in New York. Thank you so much. Nice talking to you, Robert. You, too. All right. Be well. Robert Manny's The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love is a fast-paced tale of flawed men and savvy women competing for love, sex, power, and money in the city where they play for keeps. It's the men's successor to Sex in the City. The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love is a sexy romp through the fast-moving, high-stakes world of Madison Avenue. Available now on Amazon and wherever books are sold. It's Guys Guys Radio, your host, Robert Manny. What a provocative conversation that was with David Young. His story, something to think about, something to consider. A lot of people have had different visions. They may think they have met Jesus and or another religious uh, ascended master or religious leader. And a lot of times the form that comes through to people, what I've been told is like what you're expecting and uh, so you might think, you know, Jesus is the long hair parted in the middle and the beard and the robes. Or if you don't expect that, he might show up in some other form, Matt. But you will get what you expect uh, of the ascended masters and beings when you are meditating or when you pass over and are on the other side uh, and doing your transition. So a lot to consider. So um, I actually had one experience where 
I was doing a meditation with my spiritual enfoldment class, and we were, we were the whole class was in the meditation together, and we were supposed to uh, go through different stations, really, uh, little town places where we're doing think, things uh, spiritually. And I was having a hard time connected with some of the people who were at one place, and I couldn't ground myself. And all of a sudden, I feel somebody a presence, and it's Jesus. And he says, I'm going to help. You might want to talk to this guy because he can help you out. And I looked, and that was my dad standing there who has pa- passed a year ago. And, and I knew it was Jesus' essence there with me, his presence. I didn't look at him and t- check out his outfit or anything like that, but I knew it was him. So everybody experiences these things in their own personal way. You have to make a decision on what you heard David talk about. And, uh, but I think the real truth underneath it all is that Jesus was all about loving your neighbor, being kind to one another, and living the best life you possibly can. And what better religion is there than that? So this is Guys Guys Radio. We're on KCAA every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Pacific Time, 106.5, 102.3, 1050 a.m. Tune in, Stitcher, Spreaker, Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, iHeart Radio. My novel, where it all started, is called The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love. It's a romantic comedy about two guys in advertising competing for love, sex, power, and money. You can pick it up on Amazon or wherever books are sold. It's been called The Male Sex in the City. It's a lot of fun. My website's robertmanni.com. Lots of information there. Over 350, I think, blog posts. And those blog posts on life, love, and pursuit of happiness were kind of the genesis of beginning... uh, and launching Guys Guys Radio a few years ago. And we've done over 350 podcasts on Guys Guys Radio, and now we're on podcasts, but we're also do KCAA. So I hope you can uh, check us out. All of those podcasts, uh, and I mentioned the outlets, you can download all of them for free, and we've talked to a lot of interesting guests over uh, time. Uh, over time in the fields of uh, being authors or spiritual leaders or athletes or uh, entertainers, uh, comedians, uh, a lot. we've had a lot of fun on the show and we've shared a lot of information. So I hope you can check it out if you have the time. And you can always rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. And if you pick up my novel, that always helps. So thanks. I'm also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And again, Robert Manny, Guys Guys Radio. I thank you for listening. I love doing the show. I love being on the airwaves in sunny Southern California. I am still here in noisy... <laughs> New York City, but I'll be heading out to Southern California with my family soon. I can't wait, and uh, I thank you for your support, and I hope to bring you more and more guests to keep you thinking and keep you coming back for more. This Guys Guys Radio, and I end the show, as I always do, by saying, Guys Guys, finish first. <laughs>